I hope you're ready to fly through this quick because God's been speaking to me about a whole bunch of different things and I want to get all of it to you. I talk fast, so please listen fast. Just because it was Christmas doesn't mean we're just, we're, like Pastor Tina said when she gave the, the word about her pure later guy. Remember that? She said something just went off on me and I, and I believe that we're going to accelerate. We're not going to slow down. We're going to accelerate. We're going to hop into 2020 off like a shot. Okay. And so I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. I had a wonderful Christmas. The great thing about being a Christian is though the world unpacks Jesus for a little bit of time over a holiday season, we don't just do that. We celebrate Jesus all year round. And so it's such a wonderful thing to be a Christian because um, we celebrate Jesus every single day. This is the last sermon of this decade. What an honor. No pressure. <laughs> last sermon of the decade. And I just, I, I love you pastors. Thank you so much for trusting me to do this. There have been, if you've been here for any length of time, there have been so many great women and men of God who've, who've stood here and it kind of blows my mind in a good way that um, I have the honor of doing this today. So I don't take it lightly. Um, by any means. And um, so before, you know, we're, we're, I'll be concluding the Chasing Carrots uh, series. So keep that in mind as we talk today. We still are talking about Chasing Carrots, but I thought that we would do a recap of all of 2019 really quickly because, um, you know, there's a quote that says, well, before I give you that quote, God is always executing a plan. He's always moving. He's the master chess player, if you want to look at it like that, right? He's always doing something. There's always a plan. There's always a purpose. God does, doesn't just do anything uh, by accident, and, and neither do the pastors. You know, They're not just cooking up a spiritual crock pot, throwing in some faith ingredients, and hoping that it's going to work out at the end of the year. They actually are moving us along a journey together as a family, right? We're going from point to point to point. So I thought it was just a good idea to kind of quickly look over the year to see where we have ended up here today. So those who don't, do not remember their past, are condemned to repeat their mistakes, right? So that's why we're kind of looking at it, saying, okay, what have we learned, and where are we going? So at the end of 2018, going into 2019, we had, if you remember, I Believe in Miracles. That was actually technically 2018, but it crossed over into January a bit, where we talked about the mechanics of a miracle. We did Beyond Your Wildest Dreams, from ice cream to I do. I love that one. You remember the struggle zone? <laughs> How to struggle well, right? We talked about covenant from here to there and what it means to live in a covenant relationship with God. We talked about thou art with me, which was God's master plan, that it has always been redemption, restoration, and a relationship with man. We talked about walking with God. We talked about the pursuit of happiness, living in joy, community, and active rest. Active rest sounds like an oxymoron. Uh, if you weren't there for the message, you might want to watch it. All of these are online, by the way, so you have access to them. So we talked about, um, well, then won't you be my neighbor? Reminding us that one of the greatest commands is to love our neighbors as ourselves. We talked about family. We talked about resisting isolationism. We talked about belonging and how we are better together. I believe that was Pastor Alex. We are better together. Then we went into toxic. I think that was my personal favorite. Uh, uh, talking about toxic thoughts and, and uh, protecting your peace, about seeing the invisible, checking your baggage. Remember that pastorian with all the suitcases, right? Yeah. Checking your baggage. We talked about the Holy Grail. We talked about divine alignment. Divine alignment was the last time that I taught, and that was a good one. I recommend it. Um, <laughs> then we went, into the, we went into the pillars. So if you remember, we had the four pillars, right? Anybody remember what they were? Four Ps? Power, power. Yeah, they're good. They got it. 
Okay, we had, that's right, we had power, prosperity, presence, and purpose. Amen. After the pillars, we finally have chasing carrots where we are today, talking about the endless pursuit of more. Now, we named it chasing carrots. I say we, I had nothing to do with it. They named it chasing carrots, but do you know they could have easily, spoiler alert, called it chasing counterfeits? Because that is what this is all about. Now, chasing counterfeits probably isn't as catchy. So, you know, when you're sending out an email, come see chasing counterfeits, right? So chasing carrots, but really we've been talking about chasing counterfeits. But now, now, as we cross over to 2020, as a body, as a family, we are determining today to stop chasing counterfeits and to continue chasing Christ. Amen? Father God, we just love you. We just thank you for your word today. I thank you, Father, for speaking through me and delivering what you have for the people today. Father, we declare we have open minds and open hearts before you. Father, we are eager to receive. That's why we are here on a Sunday shortly after Christmas. God, because we want to hear from you today. Thank you, Father, for illuminating the word to us, God, and changing us in the way that you desire. In Jesus' name, Amen, 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 amen. So going into 2020, I've been praying through this, and my instruction from the Lord has been to sharpen your sword in preparation for 2020. To sharpen your sword. And that is an exciting thing because what it tells us is that God is preparing to send us on the offensive. In Proverbs 27, 17, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So you can basically think of me today as your local friendly blacksmith. I'm here to sharpen your sword. Now, Hebrews 4.12 also says, the word of God is alive. I love that. It is alive and it is active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So, of course, we're talking about a spiritual sword. Thank you for leaving your physical swords at home. It's time to go on the offensive. It's time to sever the cord of the enemy and stop being a punching bag of the devil. When it comes to, you know, God has given us the tools to overcome. He's given us the tools to overcome that we need to win in this world through Jesus. So it's time for us to leave old mindsets, the old ways of doing things, the anxiety, the heaviness, the, 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 the depression, the disappointments, the sorrow, the loneliness, the unworthiness, the anger, the hatred, the humiliation, the heartbrokenness, and every other lie in wait behind because the truth is that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And God is saying in this 2020, this is about being more than conquerors. As I said, it is time for us to stop being the punching bag of the devil and realize that we were made to be victorious. Amen? Amen. Now, we're going to embrace the truth that we were born to succeed. It really annoys me when preachers do this, so I'm going to do it to you. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. We're going after a big one. My topic, my title today is when worry becomes my worship. Ooh, huh. When worry becomes my worship. Still talking about chasing carrots, okay? When Jesus entered the scene approximately 2,000 years ago, right, it was, it was straight into an unstable world. 
and a culture that was completely consumed with worry. It was fueled by fear and lack, it was driven by dread, and it was dominated by selfishness. Lots of parallels still in the world today, but that was the world then. And we also have to remember that the world that Jesus entered into was, a, it was an agricultural society. So they were heavily dependent upon uh, the harvest. If you had a bad summer and it ruined the winter crop, that was actually a life-threatening event. It was not go to Sobeys and stock up for the winter. Right? If you're American, that's our, our grocery store of, of choice, perhaps. So Jesus entered the scene. He came into a society that was, uh, that was in bondage to, to the Romans, if you remember. You remember Herod, the baby killer, right? We think that we have it bad with some of our prime ministers and presidents today. Herod, the baby killer. We had Caesar. We had Pontius Pilate. So the Jews were oppressed and in bondage and in slavery to the Romans. He came into a society that was filled with sickness and disease where it ran rampant, but cures were not common. Where fishermen like Peter could go and fish all day and all night and still come back with absolutely nothing. So the Jews were a people who, who knew something about worry. Now, the difference between them and us in this instance is that we are living in a time where our Savior has risen, who, in, in, in whom death has been defeated, Amen. right? Where sin has been swallowed up and righteousness has been imparted and power has been released to us in Christ today. So we live in a time of power. But yet, in spite of this, so many still find themselves today Christians who are trapped and wearied by the stronghold of worry. And this is, this is everybody. Me, I've gone through it, you know, you've gone through it, and perhaps are still going through it. Of course, it's never intentional, but for many Christians, worry has become their worship. So wh why do we worry? First of all, we worry when we've been, become trapped in and are experiencing a cycle of disappointment, a cycle of being let down over and over and over again. You just keep getting your hopes up. You're just hoping God's gonna do something or, or people are gonna do something and you're just let down over and over and over again. We worry when our hope becomes misplaced. We worry because we're afraid. We're, we're afraid, you know, worry is, is, a, is a manifestation of fear, right? And Pastor Ian has taught this many, many times. It's a fear that's based upon the lie that God, one, will not protect you, two, that he will not provide for you, and three, that his love is somehow not unconditional. For example, you have to work for it. You have to be good enough for God to love you. You have to sin not enough for God to love you. You know, which is a lie. All these things are a lie, but they're so real and tangible. And the devil works hard to make sure that they are real and tangible. How does worry become our worship? Mark 4, 19 gives us, uh, tells us clearly, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the, the desires for other things, they come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Okay, so the worries of this life, the natural physical world that we live in, 
the deceitfulness of wealth, money, either the excess or the lack. See, the devil gets you either way. Too much money blinds you, too little money can blind you. Right? The Bible doesn't say money's wrong, it says the love of it. Right? The deceitfulness of wealth, the desires of other things, the carrots that we chase, they come in and they choke the word of God out of our lives, little by little by little. Think of a, either it's a, I think it's a bow constrictor. Where it chokes, and when you breathe, that's when it chokes a little bit more. Every time you take a breath, right? It comes and it chokes the word, making it unfruitful. So unfruitful worship is worry, or you could say that worry is unfruitful worship. So worry becomes our worship when our worship becomes weak. Our worship becomes weak because we're distracted by the carrots or the counterfeits. Arthur Somers Roche says, I love this. Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Wish I said that. <laughs> and just to make a distinction, right? Worry isn't the carrot. We don't have like the carrot of worry. Worry is the result of chasing the carrots. It's always reaching, but never being able to obtain or attain to what we are reaching for. Worry is the counterfeit of peace. That's why the reward of the counterfeit is worry. So in other words, when you align your life with the Prince of Peace, you receive his, his peace because you are aligned with him. When I align my life with God, who is the Prince of Peace, I receive his peace because I am aligned with him. But when your life becomes aligned with the Prince of the Power of the Air, you start to receive the counterfeit of peace, which is worry, because the devil can't create anything on his own. All that he can do is pervert what God has already made. And of course, nobody intentionally aligns their life with the devil. But what happens is, 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 is by default, when you are not aligned with God, who are you aligned with? Right? Who are we aligned with? And so worry is meditation that is pointed in the wrong direction. I remember, I don't know if it uh, was Minister Jenny or Joy, one of them said that if you're, if you're good at worrying, you're a great meditator, actually but your meditation is just pointed in the wrong direction, right? With every challenge that appears in life, we are offered the opportunity to either worry or to worship every single time. Henry Ward Beecher says it like this, every tomorrow has two handles. We can take hold of it with the handle of anxiety or the handle of faith. There's a choice every single time. So here's the thing. You remember Pastor Alex? He said it a couple times. You can't have a pity party so good. You, the pity party gets you out of the pity party, uh, basically. Sorry if I'm butchering it. The same thing is true with worry. You cannot worry yourself to a good solution. You cannot worry another dollar in your bank account. You cannot worry more food on your table. You cannot worry more clothes in your closet. You cannot worry an unsaved family member saved. You cannot worry your current, current body type into the body type you desire. <laughs> you cannot create anything with worry. Only faith takes the things that be not and draws them into your today. 
Only faith reaches through the invisible realm and brings it into the, the seen realm. Worry is literally, and this is why we have to get serious with worry. I want to get serious with worry because worry doesn't do anything but waste your time and your life. I don't have it written down, but there's a good quote that says, worry's like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> Who wants to be on, I like rocking chairs, but not perpetually, <laughs> right? Leo F. Pascaglia says, worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only saps today of its joy. And I love this. Robert Elliott says, rule number one is, don't sweat the small stuff. Rule number two, it's all small stuff. So good. So let's talk about the slide into worry. It's not a dance step, but that's how it happens. We slide into worry because nobody wakes up and says one day, you know, I think I would love a life of worry and anxiety today. Nobody says that, right? No one wakes up intending, desire, desiring to worry. It's a trap and it's a cycle that we found ourselves caught in. It's a cycle. Now, almost all Christians, they will recall a profound experience of joy when they first come to Christ. We experience this joy, this peace, this freedom, because salvation is the very first time that we cast our cares upon God. You know the scripture, 1 Peter, it says, cast all your anxieties, talking about worries or cares, on him because he cares for you. And we know that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So that is the very first time that we experience what it really truly means to cast our cares upon God. That is why we look, we're always looking back to that time we got saved and we feel like it was so good. If I could just get back there. You know why it was so good? Because that was the first time you ever truly casted your cares fully upon the Lord and the freedom that it brought you. That's why you're always trying to get back there. But as we walk with God, the problem is not that God stops receiving our cares. The problem is that often at some point we don't like the process through which he works or the time that it takes or the means or the method of God and so decide to either start taking our cares back or stop giving him the new ones altogether. I need a miracle today, but God may take two or three weeks or more, so I better get a second job and maybe a third job and maybe a fourth job. Now, there's one clear distinction here. There's one thing that God will not do with you. There's one thing that God will not do with us, and that is share being God. God will not share being God with you. You have the choice whether to make him God or not in your life, but once you decide, you decide. God will not share being God with you, and if you continue to push and override him, he will let you have your own way. God is a gentleman, as we know, and he's going to let you have your own way if that's what you continue to do. I like to look at it like this, to think of in terms of percentages. Like we said, you know, you, um, when you first get saved, everything's amazing. Everything's so good. God is wonderful. You start going to church. It feels so good. Everything's great. For a while. Come on, be real. One person laughs. Yeah, you know it's true. You know it's true. And so what happens is, little by little, we start to go, well, God, you know, it was great at first, but now, you know, now that I'm kind of seeing the way that you work, I'm really not sure that I, I like the timing of this or the method or the, or, the, or the, so 
I know you're busy because there's lots of people in the world. How about I just take 10% back and you keep the 90? Right? I'll help you out, God. And then what happens is you go, I, actually, you know, how about I take the 20 and you take the 80? Time goes on. I'll take the 40. You take the 60. And if you let that slide, worry becomes your worship because you're no longer giving him your cares. You're no longer trusting in him. We think that God somehow needs our help. Now, God, of course, he wants us to give him his cares, right? Cast all your cares. But we cling to them because of, why do we cling to them? Because of past disappointments. Past disappointments, make or perceived past disappointments, are what make us cling, try to claw back the freedom of, uh, that we've given to Jesus to be our Lord. If we allow them to, it's, we eventually conclude we would never see, the problem with the deception is that you don't know it's there. So we conclude that ultimately we're responsible for our own lives. I love God and stuff, but like, you know, if God doesn't come through. So I better have a plan B through Z. <laughs> That's why Pastor Ian taught hope against hope. Right? You guys remember hope against hope? Yeah. Right? Abraham? To give God your cares or worries, you have to learn the skill of hoping again when you've been disappointed in the past. It's a skill you have to learn. Disappointment really comes from incomplete perspective. Okay, we, we think we see it one way, but it's actually incomplete. And the, the truth is, you know, God doesn't really let us down. God is God. We just think he does. And we would never utter it publicly. But you feel it inside. You're believing for God to do something so much. And it just doesn't come through. Not even close to the way that you expected it. You've done all the things you know to do. You prayed. You fasted. You got all of your friends to pray for you. The whole church is praying for you. You've given in the offering consistently for the last five years. You read your Bible every day, but yet something happens to your life that you did not expect or calculate, and your hope, you feel it. You feel that drop. And that's why we have to learn to hope against hope. You can't do this without learning to hope against hope. We have to learn that Jesus is Lord when we like what he does and when we don't understand him at all. Amen? That is why understanding the very basic truth about the Bible that God loves you and that God is love is the most fundamental thing for you to understand. Because when you understand that God loves you, you can go through the things that you don't understand with your head, but you can rest assured, God, I don't know why this happened. I don't know, I have no idea what the outcome of this is gonna be, but I do know one thing, God, I know that you love me. And when you know that God loves you, you can always go back to that. And it gives you the power and the perspective to push through the unknown places. When we go through things we don't understand. Now let's talk about the chariots that we case. Uh, chase. If I seem like I'm yelling, I'm just passionate. I don't do, I don't do this very often, okay? So uh, I'm, just, I'm just really passionate. I'm actually smiling on the inside. So, okay. So you guys good? Yeah. You okay? Okay, because if not, we could talk about the 10 best ways to make cotton candy. 
But I know you're here for Jesus. All right. Sometimes the carrots that we chase, it's not the counterfeit of his plan, but the counterfeit of God's priorities. So what do I mean by that? Dreams, and this is a big one. Dreams and goals, careers, they are good and they are from God, but not at the expense of Jesus being the ultimate priority in our lives. You ever heard of chronic disappointment? I would, but I got other notes. He said, say it again. <laughs> you, can, you can watch it online. Chronic disappointment. You know where chronic disappointment comes from? A destiny out of order. If you talk to somebody who is perpetually disappointed, they're always disappointed. Every time I try to do this, it just doesn't work. Every time I try to do that, it just doesn't work. Every time you talk to them, what's wrong? Oh, this is wrong, and that's wrong, and my mother-in-law, and my mother-in-law, I love my mother-in-law, you know, and all, and all these other things, right? Chronically disappointed, why? Because they're living in a destiny that's out of order. How can a destiny be out of order? I'm so glad you asked. We start out with good intentions when it comes to the dreams in our lives. But all too often, our dream becomes our distraction. And when the dream becomes our distraction, it becomes our dysfunction. When our dream becomes our distraction, it becomes our dysfunction. A destiny out of order is when the very thing that God wants to use ends up blinding us and hindering us in our complete pursuit of Christ. We chase the dream instead of the dream giver. The irony is that the very thing that God wants to use in your life becomes so big on the inside of you that you have to make it happen, even if it means putting God on the back burner. Now we would never say it like that. We would never ever say it like that. You can be in church and doing a good job, but in your heart, that thing that you want to do with your life has become such an obsession that you are ready to do whatever it takes at whatever cost. And your destiny is now out of order. Oftentimes, can I, can I just be honest with you? Oftentimes our lives are full of worry because there's nothing more frustrating than trying to make God's plan come to pass in your life without God's involvement. He's given us the plan, but somewhere along the way, we lose our perspective. We take back little by little, percentage by percentage. Now, the good news. How to break the cycle of worry. I love that song. I've made up my mind. I'm never going back. We declare in Jesus' name that we are never going back. Amen? The answer to debilitating worry, here's the key. The answer to debilitating worry is extravagant worship. The answer to debilitating worry is extravagant worship. Extravagant worship. Worship is at enmity with God, or not with God, at, at, with worry. God is at enmity with worry. Okay, so worship is an enmity with worry. And enmity means uh, a hostile opposition. And this is scriptural, right? In Genesis 3.15, it says, God put enmity between mankind, ultimately the seed of woman, Jesus, 
and Lucifer, a.k.a. the devil. <laughs> right? So God's the one who did it. Now, extravagant worship, it's not just a one-time event. This distinction, it really needs to be made, right? Worship is expressed, yes, in praise and, and in spiritual songs and hymns. But worship, extravagant worship, it comes out in our, in our prayer life, in our giving life, in our day-to-day -day interactions with godly and ungodly, when nobody's looking. Extravagant worship is expressed through corporate atmospheres. It is, it is your day-to-day -day experience and walk with God. Every time, like the, the quote said, we have the, the, the option to either take the handle of anxiety or worry. We always have the opportunity, no matter what the situation is, to worry or to worship. A life of extravagant worship means whether things are going good or things are going bad, I'm going to choose to worship. I worship not because of what God does. I worship because of who he is. Yes. Worship and worry cannot exist in the same space. So just like, you know, uh, light and darkness, they can't exist in the same space, right? To be more accurate, darkness doesn't exist. Darkness is just the absence of light. Worry is just the absence of worship can't exist in the same space. Yeah, you can clap. <laughs> makes, makes me feel a little bit better. I know, I know it can be a little bit heavy, but man, God is just wanting to accelerate us this year. God is just wanting to push us further. God wants us to live that life of joy and peace and all the things that we taught up until this point in this year, right, to, to, to move us to where God really wants us to be. Now, a cycle, this particular cycle, cannot be stopped. There's obviously more to that. It has to be replaced. It has to be replaced. Here's why. We can actually not choose whether or not we worship. Every human being on the face of this planet worships something. The only choice you have is the object of your worship. We all worship something, whether we want to or not, and that is because God designed the human being to be in covenant with God, to commune with God. God desired us to not be God so that we always want to be with God, right? So there, and that's why, we, you know, oftentimes when they're doing an evangelical message, they'll say, you know, there's a hole in your heart and there's, there's a place in your life that's not being fulfilled. And yeah, that's because when you live without God, there's going to be that void there. And every human being tries to fill the void. You're going to fill it with something. The only choice you have is what do you fill it with? So you can't just stop the cycle. You have to replace the cycle. Now, God is sharpening our swords today because he wants to comfort us. God is so good. He wants to comfort us in that he desires so desperately to work in your life unhindered to be your covenant God. God wants to take care of you like he really knows he can, but he just needs us to trust him. He just needs us to trust him, to let go when it's scary, when we don't know what's coming next, when we feel that urge to try to take the reins back and God says, just let go and see what I can do in your life. You were never meant to carry the burdens or worries of life alone. 
Never. God is sharpening our swords today so that with one strategic cut, we can cut the cord from which the carrots of the enemy dangle. Now here's the thing. We are the ones who have to swing the sword. God's not going to swing the sword for us. We have to be the ones that takes the action. The reality of it is, no matter how hard it is to hear, is that whatever you are not changing, you are choosing. <laughs> whatever we are not changing, we are choosing. And I know we don't want to hear that sometimes because you say, well, what do you mean I'm choosing? I grew up this way and, and I grew up that way and I didn't have this growing up and I didn't have the mentor and I didn't have a good teacher or I didn't have a parent or I didn't have either parent or I didn't have this or I didn't have that. What do you mean? The reality of it is Christ died to give you the choice. Christ died to fill the void. Christ died so that you could overcome and you have the ability through the power of Jesus to change whatever you want to change. It is a lie that your life has to stay stuck where it is in a dark place or some dysfunction. It does not have to be that way. How do we, how do we break the cycle of worry? We break the cycle, we replace the cycle of worry by diligently guarding our thoughts. Think of a guard, uh, a military guard or a police officer who stands at the post. When does he stand there? All the time. Do you know why he stands there all the time? Because they don't know when the threat's coming. They don't know when the danger's going to show up. So someone's at the post all the time. In the same way, we have to guard our thoughts, not just on Sunday until we leave the building, but all the time. Guarding your thoughts means screening your thought. You don't have to think every thought that you're given. Do you know that? Just because it pops in your head, that doesn't mean it's from you. The Bible tells, it, tells us that there is God who is good, and then there is Satan who is the father of lies and everything evil. So when that thought blows by your mind to be negative or to say something negative or do something negative or to hate your life or to hate this or to hate that or to do this or do that, you have an opportunity to reject that thought. You do not have to be subject to that thought. God has given us the power to choose. Now, here's the thing. If we're not full of the word, we're not full of the power to change. That's why the Bible also tells us to renew our mind. Romans 12, 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. So we have to read our Bibles, and I know it sounds so basic. What did you go here at church today? I heard to read my Bible. Yes, I know, but the, the reality of it is in the day and the age that we're in, we live in a time where so many people don't read their Bibles. If you don't read your Bible, how can you even know that what I'm saying is true? I love Pastor Ian. I love Pastor Tina. But when I first came to church, you know what I had to do? Is what they're saying aligning with this book. Because as good as they are, and I love them to life, I really do. They're not God. They speak through God. Only the word of God. Only the word of God has the, the power to change us into the image of of Christ. So can I just encourage you, if you've let this slip in your life, 
Pick up your Bible again. Make it a daily thing. Daily? Yeah. <laughs> daily. It doesn't have to be a lot. A chapter a day. Because this is where the, this is the source of power. I know you love Pastor Stephen Furtick. And I know you love T.D. Jakes. And I know you love Kenneth Copeland. But they're not God. We have to start at the source. And we confirm what they say. And I love all those people too. If we get back to the days, to get back to the days of peace in our life, we simply have to get back to pursuing the Prince of Peace above all else. Remembering who you are and whose you are, like 2 Timothy 1 through 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Bible's telling us, don't worry through your problems, worship through them. As God is exalted in extravagant worship, the atmosphere of your life must completely shift. When you exalt God in extravagant daily worship, the atmosphere of your life has to change. Has to change. When you worship God, in, this is so beautiful, when you worship God in spirit and in truth, you attract his presence. And, when, and, and you attract his power into your predicament. His presence and his power come into our predicaments. And when God shows up, when God shows up, when God shows up, there is no mountain that will not be laid flat. There is no situation that cannot be solved. There's no stronghold that cannot be shattered. There's no debt that cannot be destroyed. There's no dysfunction so great that you can't find deliverance. When God shows up, when light arrives, the darkness has to bow down. When God shows up, the darkness has to bow down. When you say the name of Jesus, demons tremble at that name. You wake up in the morning and you say, Jesus, and you say it through your house and watch the demons tremble all around you because power has shown up. The authority of the name of Jesus, sharper than any two-edged sword. God gives us the sword, but we have to use, learn how to Wield it. And that may be a bad demonstration of sword wielding. <laughs> but you understand. If you find yourself in a struggle, I'm watching the clock, but the timer wasn't set, so uh, I, don't, I don't have much longer. I just don't know exactly where I'm at. Um, if you find yourself in a struggle with worry today, God wants to take that backpack of burdens that you've been carrying around, the one that's been weighing you down with discouragement and hopelessness, and wants to restore peace and hope in your life today. Just a couple questions to ask and reflect on going into 2020. Ask yourself this, just two questions. One, is a relationship with Jesus and his plan the most important thing in my life today? Is the relationship with Jesus and his plan the most important thing in my life today, right now? And please just be honest with yourself. 
This is just, this is just for you and for me. Number two, is there a place and a space for rest in my life? Is there a place and a space for rest in my life? It's often said that God does his best work when we rest. I think it's because we get out of the way. Doing more is not always getting more done, and movement is not always progress. And if you think about it, right, this is why God created the Sabbath. Not only as a, you know, remember, it's a, it's a main commandment of all the commandments. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. God is showing us that he is a void filler. He's a void filler. And God says to us, I need you to leave a place and a space of rest so that I can come into that void and I can move within your life. But if we're so busy always trying to get things done, if we're so busy trying to always make it happen, we don't leave a space for God to come and do what only he can do. We need to trust him. We need to leave a place and a space of rest where we don't do anything but commune with God and say, Lord, if anything, Lord, I just take this time to tell you, I trust you. I know you love me. And while I might not always understand you, I trust you. And I believe your word that all things work together for good for those who love you. I believe your promise, God. I leave space for you, Father. If you've been weighed down by anxieties and fears, if you felt far away from the peace of God, if worry, if worry has become your worship, or if you don't know Jesus, maybe you don't know Jesus today. I don't, I don't know where you're at personally. But you recognize that you need him in your life because he is the truth. And you're tired of doing life alone. Just tired of always doing it alone and by yourself. Maybe online. Maybe you're just tired of doing it alone. Or perhaps you've been watching from a distance, knowing that there is so much more for you. But you felt trapped and unworthy, maybe caught up in your past. Can I tell you that he's calling you today in this moment? He is calling you online today in this moment right now. We're going to pray. And if any of the above describes your situation, I just want you to repeat after me. In fact, I'm just going to ask as a congregation, we can all just say this prayer together. It's always a good time to connect and reconnect with God. But particularly, if this, if this is really, if you found yourself in this message today, I really want you just to take a holy moment with God as you say these words. Because I believe that as you release your faith, God is going to change you this morning. Change you for the better. So with every eye closed, please, just repeat after me. Dear Father, I choose to believe that you love me and that you only want what is good for me. Forgive me, Lord, for any place in my life where I've made myself, Lord, in place of you. I choose today to release to you the things I cannot control 
and even the things that seem like I can. Because your ways are higher and I trust you. So every burden, every weight, every sorrow, and every disappointment, I release to you now and refuse to take them into this new year with me. Every dream and every desire, I release to you, Lord. Knowing that your timing and your plan is perfect. Today, I cut the cord to counterfeits in my life and refuse anything that doesn't come from God. I am his and he is mine and prophetically declare with my own lips over my own life that 2020 for me will be an extravagant year of worship and an extravagant year of peace. Now, from this moment, Father, I receive the freedom that can only come from you. I set my heart to hope again. I set my trust to trust again. I will not worry. I will worship. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that your life was impacted by this service and you are able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him, but been far from him. We wanna give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that you could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. If you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then just repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Savior and my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day. And help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you have just made to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey. And most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we would love to send you with some easy steps on where to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you real soon.